There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Last week on Friends Like This, host Anne-Marie Cox was joined by sports and business journalist Mina Kimes to talk about being the only female NFL analyst on ESPN and the pressures that come from proudly representing her Korean-American heritage on screen. It's a great episode. I think you'll enjoy it. Check it out with Friends Like These wherever you get your podcasts. Is it time to flip the switch yet? Anthony Davis goes nuclear as the Lakers. I am playing possibly against Steph and the Warriors. He's going to get fined because he whined about Zion. David Griffith blows up at the refs. Plus, our in-house sports team owner takes us inside preparations for the start of the WNBA season. And writer and director Alan Yang joins us talk about the long-awaited third season of Master of None and to play Take Survivor. Take Line coming up next. I'm Jason Concepcion. I'm Renee Montgomery. Let's go! Well, Renee, the NBA playing tournament is approaching and the biggest question mark in the East is so sad. Unfortunately, the Celtics, uh, if they lose the playing round, uh, you know, Brad Stevens, you wonder if his seat might finally be getting hot in the Western Conference. It's getting really fascinating because uh, the Lakers, of course, have been shaky with LeBron out, AD out for a significant time. It certainly looks like there is a looming confrontation with the Warriors, or at least it's, it's possible. If that does happen, if we get Lakers-Warriors as a play-in, is that like the league's worst nightmare? That it could be possible that LeBron James could bow out before e the playoffs even begin? Of course. This is like worst case scenario. So you know how there's that sound bite of LeBron saying whoever thought of it should get fired? Well, yes, if LeBron is knocked out, they whoever created this wasn't thinking that Steph Curry and LeBron James would be in that playoff game, like, or I should say play in game. This is worst case scenario because you would want LeBron James and the Lakers and Steph Curry and the Warriors to play as long as you possibly could. Like, if you could, you would have them play in the finals just because you know that type of star power. People will tune in for them. Not that they won't tune in for other people, but Steph Curry is magical. We know that. So imagine we only we don't even get a series. So we're talking play in game. I would even take the first round because then you get at least seven games of it. A play in game. And LeBron James has been gone for so long. So you mean to tell me he might come back for that one game? Yeah. I think this is worst case scenario for the league. And while I have my marketing cap on, I also think it's best case scenario because we know that that game's numbers will be out of this world. So if they're trying oh, to prove why they did the game, yeah, if they're trying to show why they did this game and they start to show the analytics and the numbers for uh, Warriors versus Lakers matchup, well, they're going to have all the numbers they could ask for. And this is So this has been a, a point of conversation. Uh, Nick Wright, notably of, of Fox Sports, was uh, talking about this, how this is a nightmare scenario for the league. I get that, and I understand how, listen, if I was working in the league office, I would certainly be looking at the potential numbers for a LeBron-less or a Curry-less playoffs and just being like, ugh, that sucks. On the other hand, like, as a fan, how much should I care? You know what I mean? Because I feel like this is the same kind well, of argument. Well, it depends on what like you're a fan of. That's true. I, but, like, I, I keep thinking of, you know, my friend Chase Serrano is a Spurs fan, and the big knock on the Spurs for years and years and years were they're boring, they're not interesting, the lowest-rated finals, like, of all time was uh, Spurs versus the Cavs, nobody wants to watch it. Um, and, of course, Spurs fans, right, and rightly so, felt aggrieved by this. But, like, how much, how much should we really care? Like, and shouldn't, secondarily to that, you know, LeBron and Steph should have just won more games. I don't know, just win and don't be in this situation. But I like how much, 
how much should we really care about this? Because I, I feel like, you know, it's it's a little bit of a knock on, not that Lakers fans give a shit, but it's like a little bit of a knock against like Lakers fans to be like, well, you know, um, and teams and fans of other teams, because it's like, okay, nobody cares if you guys get in. Nobody cares if, if the Grizzlies get in. You know, we don't want to watch the Mavericks, that kind of thing. But then you're hitting at the point of sports. Like what yeah. you're saying is, sports in general what we know in reality is sports is a business so do you care as a fan yeah because as a fan this is a business that's running and so if all of a sudden you're let's even say the new york knicks you know and you're that team that wow we finally made it to one of the spots that (laughs) can be in we know we're in we got the seed there and then they're like yeah yeah yeah. no you got to play it out you got to play it out and get in there i mean i can see it from so many different ways like what if you're one of those teams that finally made it to that top eight and then all of a sudden you're hearing different rules and different things i could see that being a problem from the other end of it so as a fan if you and again they knew it before the season started so it's yeah. not like this was just an up surprise but as a fan i think that your perspective just changes completely like i don't know how to feel about it really it's like i'm i'm one of those people that i i have to see it play itself out to see how it worked out are you anti playing or are you pro like you know based on what you saw uh, last playoffs and like, let's take the pandemic, because obviously this is kind of it's kind of like the worst possible timing. Obviously, the the disruption from the pandemic gave the league the opening to try this. But it's also the worst possible time to do it because of the compressed schedule and players are already so burned yeah. out. Now you're adding extra games. Put all of that aside in a vacuum. Are you pro or anti the plan? Well, let me just give some context here. The WNBA has already been doing that. So yeah. for us, this is not a new model. Now, do I like it? No. I think that anytime you have a one-game elimination in professional sports, it's difficult for me because that feels more college-esque in a sense of the March Madness. And the thing right. that makes March Madness is you never know what can happen. The number 16 seed might knock out the number one seed. And the problem with that that I have when it comes to pro sports, and, you know, honestly, for that same fact you know you could think of it in college too but with pro sports you work all season long 80 games worth to earn your position and so then you earn that number seven seat right but now I got to do a playout game between the number seven and eight to re-earn my seven seat again like because if you win the game versus number seven and eight and you're number seven you get to just remain number seven and so I just don't like the fact that We could work a whole season for positioning, home court advantage. I want a series to play it out because it took us 80 games to get here. I don't want one game to determine what we're doing. So for me, it's more about you don't ever know if the best team will win in a one-game elimination. That's that's the biggest problem I have with it. You can see a number 16 seed knock off a number one seed. Everyone knows the number one seed is better, but they had a bad night. Well, then how do you determine – who is the best that year? That's fine for That's college. I get it. But I want I want the best team in pro sports to win. So I, yeah, I guess is, I'm a fan of not that. That's a it's an interesting point, and I and then and I think it's a fair one um in certain circumstances. Jason Gallagher, who is a producer on this and a, a director of all caps, has a take about Damian Lillard, which is that Damian Lillard ruins the playoffs every year because he's knocking off the better team. And it is Dame it Tom. <laughs> It it is often a bummer. Like it's exciting in the moment when an eight beats a one or a seven beats a two, um, but it's also that feeling of oh, the next round is just gonna be not yep. very not very dramatic. I mean that said, and I take your point. But I have a question for you though. I have a question sure. for you though because you hit on it a little bit that. With the Celtics, Brad Stevens, I mean, he was looked at as going to be, you know, one of the young guys that was going to be killing it in Boston pretty much his whole life. And I'm not even exaggerating. When you heard people talk about him when he first got there, it was like... People people were talking about, like, what... What top 10 player would you not trade for Brad Stevens? Like, people were talking about it like they wouldn't trade players for him. Um, so so now I'm glad. So knowing that and now knowing if the Celtics were to be in that playing game and lose it, what do you think is going to happen with him? Like what what's going to happen well, with Brad Stevens? I think that there's several levels to this. The first is 
that, like many teams in the league, the Celtics have been affected by COVID. Um, Jason Tatum, notably, has to use an inhaler before he plays and, and perhaps yeah. during games. Um, the, the lingering effects are that uh, drastic. And, of course, he's really picked it up over the last uh, month or so. Um, killing it. But th- that is still an effect that he's dealing with. Evan Fournier, who came over uh, from the Magic, has uh, really disappointed. And he's talked pretty openly about the fact that he's dealing with after effects. He feels foggy. He feels uh, exhausted often. And he's just not being able, he's just not able to give his his best effort. And he's called it uh, heartbreaking at times. Um, that said, like that's a t- you know. It's also a team with Jason Tatum was one of the best young stars in the game, a player who recently scored 60 and put the Celtics on his back. Uh, Jalen Brown, who's one of the best two-way players in the game, period, and certainly one of the best two-way players uh, under 25 years old, they should be better. I just feel like there's been so much upheaval, and especially with the COVID wrinkles, that he would get another chance unless it's a complete disappointment. But, like, there's been a lot of injuries. You know, Kemba not playing well. Marcus Smart being in and out of the lineup. He's really their best passer. And when you have those things together, basically no kind of backcourt effectiveness, no playmaking. Uh, A lot of the Celtics season kind of devolved into this, like throw it to Jalen, throw it to uh, Jason, and they'll make something happen and the ball not moving around. And, uh, And you get a very shaky team. Now, I will say that some of these losses recently have looked like a team that is not even really trying to compete. That is scary a little bit that's the thing yeah. that is a little troubling when when they go down like 18 in the first quarter and it's happening time and time again i, I certainly think uh his seat will get hot but i don't think that he's in any real trouble okay so he's not he's not there yet but I don't he better so. he better get, they got to get to it basically if not this play in game I, but they have next too much talent sure. they have too much talent to be at this at, in this place right now like they just simply have too much talent right I mean I would say yeah that's that's the problem I think that everyone realizes that there's so much talent there and that they're almost underachieving it seems like in a sense but we know covid we know injuries and so Every team is dealing with that, though. I mean, look at the Hawks. We had one of the most changes to the lineup of any team this year. You know, we're the top three in that. So is that an excuse anymore? Because, you know, like, is that an excuse? I don't know, but I'm just asking. That's a good – well, here's a good point. Speaking of coaches on the hot seat, right? So Nate McMillan fired from the Pacers. He goes to the Hawks, turns the Hawks around. His replacement, another Nate, Nate Bjorkren for the Pacers, has – it's not been Oof. good. Uh, you have coaches yelling at players like Pacers players from the sideline. It just has not looked great there. And it certainly seems like Nate Bjorkren now uh, might be on the hot seat. It's how do you how do you keep the wrong Nate? <laughs> I just don't oh, like, you know God. what I mean? Well, you know, the problem is, though, and this is a whole nother discussion, so I'm just going to say it and then we're going to have to pin it for another day. But yeah, we do know that a lot of times black coaches in the NBA don't get a lot of leeway. So if you don't do well, whether it's injury or whatever reason, you don't have a lot of room for error. I mean, that's just it's not it's not even I don't even know if it's an opinion at this point. I think that coaches have been fired for way less when it comes to minority coaches. And then when we're talking about other coaches, they might have a longer leeway. So that's there. But to that point, Coach Lloyd Pierce got fired halfway through the season because we were not performing a certain way. Coach Nate McMillan took over the team. He's killing it. But again, I mean, we were injured a lot in the first half of the season. And no one cares about that, I don't think, when it comes to coaching. Well, it's, you know, sports is just kind of like a no excuses space, right? Even if you have a great excuse. COVID. Yep. Players dealing with after effects of COVID, not able to play, players being injured, whatever the case may be. Nobody nobody wants to hear it at the end of the day. Like it's did you win? Facts. And that's not fair, but that's what it is. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. 
to move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So Zion Williamson is out indefinitely after breaking his left index finger and the VP of basketball operations for the New Orleans Pelicans, which is David Griffin, has some choice words for the ref saying that the way the referees were officiating Zion was going to get him injured. Now, the league went on to fine Griffin $50,000 for those comments. So, Jason. Yes. Is Griffin right about the way Zion is being officiated? I think that. I mean. You know, historically, he's right and he's not right. He's right in the sense that, historically speaking, players like Zion, these bigs, these big, strong players like Shaq, like Giannis, just end up taking more punishment. When they drive to the rim, they get hit. Uh, Players, you know, are taught to come down with their full force to try and strip that ball out. That's how you're taught to play the game. A lot of times they'll hit that arm. And... For a player like Zion, just like with Shaq, at that size, it's not obvious how hard they're getting hit because they are so strong. Guys are just wailing on them. You know, it'd be different if it was like Terry Rozier getting hit in the same uh, with the same amount yeah. of force. Um, so uh, he's right in that sense. But also the fact that this is uh, an issue and has been an issue with big players over the, you know, for as long as I've been watching basketball, certainly – tells you that that's it's just going to have to be something that Zion figures out how to deal with whether it's selling the foul you know yelling when he gets hit snapping the head back which is you know someone would say oh you're telling him to flop I'm not telling him to flop I'm telling him to when he feels contact let the ref know that he's feeling contact uh, whether it's like you yeah know, you, that's a flop yeah d- developing that <laughs> but developing that kind of savvy you know where it's like you've got to you, you know if you're going to get hit at least let the ref know that you are getting hit To that point, now, people might have considered me a flopper in my day. I mean, that might might be a label or slander that was thrown my way. I call it embellishing, you know. Sometimes, like, if I get hit... Sometimes the refs miss it. Like that's just that's just how it is. That's what now it is. I'm on the whole other end of the spectrum because I'm actually when you look on the court, I'm one of the smaller players out there. And so when you look at me and when I get hit, it looks dramatic anyway. Sometimes I wasn't even embellishing. I was just getting hit by these gazelles of humans that are just run yeah. running at a fast <laughs> speed and I'm just caught in the trampede. Like that that's that's what happened, but I also the athlete in me, it's tough. And shouts to my dog, Swin Cash, over there at the New Orleans Pelicans, holding it down in the front office. But it's tough because everyone talks about how the officiating for the NBA is the easiest that's ever been. They protect the shooters the most. Like, everything is right, about right, scoring. Right. It's to protect the shooters, to protect the scores. So I imagine that the treatment Zion is getting, I think that old school players would think that that's a cakewalk. I mean, We've seen the clips. If you haven't seen the bad boy days, the Detroit days, yeah. all of those, I think, yes, Zion may be getting officiated differently in a sense of they might not think that it's hurting him or or he's not getting as many calls. But I also think, like, you know, I don't know how to feel about it because I think that we've gone all the way so far to the end of the spectrum where people can't even play defense anymore, too. Yeah. I'm a shooter, so I like protecting the shooter. So it's like it's a catch-22 because – Maybe Zion's getting officiated differently, but the officiating right now is very pro offense. Right. So I, I don't I, know I what I don't know what to do with that information, I, Jason, but that's just how I feel. I mean, just to tie it back to Griffin, I I think that again, this is a no excuses league. I think that he's right uh in the instinct to protect his player, right? Listen, for the, sure. 
the the Pelicans had a shot at the play-in uh, before this. Now with Zion out, they they I don't think they have any shot. Um, and so that will certainly earn him some plaudits, like in the locker room, get him some political capital. The fact that he's willing to come out and and blast the refs and get fined to protect his player, yeah. I think, is like that's a that's a positive. Uh, I think the other side of it is. You know, refs are a real easy scapegoat, like in in sports. And this is a Pelicans team that has been disappointing, that for the amount of talent they have, um, should be better and is not better. And so on the one hand, I understand uh, David Griffin lashing out in in what is a devastating blow to his team. On the other hand, it's like... There's been a lot of criticisms of that front office, notably from J.J. Redick. They have winning... It's also like a okay, pick it up. Like let's figure out how to yeah. get this uh this team on track. Like let's look in the mirror a little bit as well. To that point, if I had fifty thousand dollars every time I wanted to protect my players, I would. Like I, I think that, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil in the sense of when it yes, comes to refs and so you're working true. the refs and in sports, you see the coaches, even the players, like people get mad about how much Draymond Green was allowed, the leash he was allowed in a sense of how many times he's allowed to go off. And you start to build that rapport with the refs, whether you like it or not, the refs start to see, oh, that's just Draymond. I don't care. Or yeah. the refs might know all right, David Griffin is going to be coming at us if we don't call it for Zion. They're humans. I know that people don't like it, but we know that refs are humans with feelings and it could work either way. But if it was my players and I felt like it was something that really cost us a chance at the playing games or something that cost us a chance at the playoffs, yeah, I think I would have some words to say about it too. You got to protect your players. I mean, how many times have we seen it where, you know, in a playoff game, one team shoots a a many more free throws than the yeah. other team. And then the coach calls it out in, in the post game gets fined, but then you can feel it that the refs are really yep. watching this more closely. And then they, they it, it invariably happens that uh, despite the fine, the coach gets what they want, which is a yep. more equitable distribution of fouls. This often works. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> yep. And finally, Renee, WNBA season starts this yes. weekend. Uh, to, you are our in-house WNBA owner. Take us into it. Take us into the run-up. What's going on? How are you preparing for it? What's it like watching it from this perspective? Oh, man, it's been crazy. Uh, today we had media day. And media day normally is a crazy day already because you you basically have to capture all the content you need for the whole season from every single player. So that's wild to think about to do in five hours. So there's that. And then we have to sprinkle on top all of the COVID protocols, all of the yeah. different things, the hoops you have to jump through. The the hair and makeup can't be there. This can't happen. The vendors, the lights. And so you have to keep everyone separated a certain extent it's crazy. I like it's it's really crazy to 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 bring it all together, but having said that, it was lit. I'm not going to lie. I can't <laughs> wait. I'm waiting on pins and needles for them to start sending me some of the the promo clips that we're going to have and some of the videos because we went all out over here, okay? Welcome to the new normal Atlanta Dream fans. Welcome to the new normal WNBA fans, what you thought you knew about the Atlanta Dream? Yes, we might not have been a team that invested in those type of things. We're investing in it now. And so for me, it's exciting because I saw the players dancing around. You can tell that the players know what it's like to be treated a certain way. You know, you could tell that they felt that we were trying to cater to them, that we were trying to make them feel like professional athletes in every sense of the word. And so for me, that's a proud moment because that's what the players should feel all the time. And if you're wondering, you know, why wouldn't they? Well, in the WNBA, we haven't necessarily always felt like the top professional or treated a certain Mm. way. It's just we it would be money issues or that's just not how we do things. And so to see that things are changing and and just the lifestyle, the quality of life of the players is changing. You know, it's I'm hype about it because I always want to be that player in the front office. I don't want to be just an exec in the front office. I want the players on my team to feel like they have just an extended player that's in the front office fighting for them. And it's crazy because I don't have to fight. You know, Suzanne A. Bear, Larry G., 
They're the ones that are right with me. Like, yeah, we got to treat the players how they want to be treated. They're the ones leading the charge. So we have media day today. First game of the season. Season opener is Friday, May 14th. Get your popcorn. That's all I'm going to say. We got a lit team. I love it. One more question, because I'm I'm fascinated by this. What is, <laughs> you know, I know you can't speak for the players, but I can't, I, I, I keep thinking about what it must be like for them to come in and see someone in the ownership group who uh, understands exactly what it is to lace them up and to, and to play for a team, to have that kind of uh, understanding from the other side, from the, from the C-suite level, from the, from the ownership level. Um, have, has, have any of them talked to you about that or, or like, what is the vibe that you're catching in that regard? They have. Um, shouts to Tiffany Hayes. She actually was calling me just now during this, <laughs> during us filming. So I didn't answer Kiera, but I'm gonna call you back. But it's dope because I think they know that I'll take things the right way. So a lot of times with players and management, you always, if there is an issue, you want to make sure that you say it a certain way that management doesn't yeah. take it the wrong way. And also that they're not going to think you're ungrateful or you're asking too much. So I think there's that freedom that they know that they can tell me anything. And I was talking to Monique Billings today and she was just like, man, I love that you got our back, Nay. And I'm like, you already know, but it's the fact that they just know it. Like they don't even have to ask. They know like things that I already knew was a problem. They know that I'm working on it. You know, uh, the year before we didn't have training tables with which is food provided after practice. They know I'm working on it this year. COVID protocols aren't allowing it to happen right now, but they know that that's something that I know you would want as a player, and they know that we're going to bring it to them as an ownership group and as a staff. So, yeah, it's it's pretty, like, I'm hype. Like, I don't know how to, like, if you can't tell, I'm hype because it's, it's I feel like we're changing things. Woo! Uh, joining us now is an uh, incredibly accomplished and talented writer and director, Alan Yang. He's written for you know some of the iconic comedies of our time, Parks and Rec, Forever, The Good Place. He is the co-creator of Netflix's original Master of None, which is returning for its third season shortly. Alan Yang, welcome to Take Line. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Thank uh, you for being you. here. Yeah. So listen, it's been three years since we've had a new season of Master of None. So catch us up on where we left off at season two. Like, what can we expect in season three? You can expect something very different. <laughs> so it, it, it's so like we want to prep people. Like we want, you know, I saw some, you know, we posted some stuff on socials, like the show's coming back. And people were like, oh, yeah, we're so excited. I was like, I hope you guys aren't expecting uh, Dev and Arnold eating tacos. You know, it's, like, it's not going to be just them <laughs> bone around New York City. I, I think, you know, one of the things we were talking about is, um, you know, the show it kind of was a different time in our lives and honestly like a different time in the world. <laughs> like if you look at the yeah. show, it's like, it's, it's a pretty happy comedy. It's like optimistic. It's like a single guy bumming around New York and it's like, things have changed, right? Things have yeah. changed. So <laughs> the show is very different. The first thing we want to let people know is the main relationship this year is centered on Lena Waithe and Naomi Aki's characters, um, Denise and Alicia. And so it's about their relationship and the season is called Moments in Love and it's about love. How did Denise meet her new partner? Is it, Can you say that? I don't want to... Like, how uh, much that, time has passed? I have questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot, there's, a, there's a pretty aggressive time cut. So, yes, that is, that is part of it. <laughs> and, you know, it's a kind of a story we had been talking about telling since season one. I mean, there's, a, there's an episode in season one called Mornings, which is about mm -hmm. Aziz's character, Dev, and, and, and Noelle Wells' character, Rachel. And it's like their relationship mornings in their relationships and even then we talked about wouldn't it be interesting to do this kind of episode or this kind of season for denise and then of course season two we did an episode called thanksgiving which centered on denise and yeah. um, about her family and her relationship with dev growing up and you know i think we really you know our watch over the show is is what's most exciting to us and honestly what's most challenging to us and this season was like, this is just way more exciting. It's like, we, we, we don't have, like, our, we felt like, you know, we don't have enough to write about and sort of our lives are the same in some ways. And it's like, man, this is just such a different, different story, different tone, all of that. So, so that's what got us really, really passionate about this season. Yeah, part of that difference is the pandemic. You guys uh, were producing this 
as that was going on. It's, of course, still going on. Um, how challenging was that? It was horrible. <laughs> I mean, no, it, it actually, like, no, I'm not going to lie, man. I'm not going to yeah. lie. And, and anyone who tells you, like, it's a lot of fun shooting during COVID, it's like, right, no, yeah. it sucks. It's really, it's really, really hard. And and a big part of that is, you know, so we we shot it in the in the height of the pandemic, and we actually shot it in London and in and, and the UK. So um, there's all the international travel for, you know, me and Lena were flying over from America and um it's so on top of that, there's all the, you know, all the protocols and all that stuff. Yeah. The simple fact of you're wearing a mask and a face shield on set. So I honestly like, you know, I had met Naomi and stuff, but I was like, man, some of these actors haven't seen my face. Like, they, like right. I was on set yeah, for crazy. weeks before we even and, and like, how are you supposed to interact with other human beings? Yeah. How are you supposed to, you know, give acting notes and, you know, praise their performance and sort of you know, sort of talk about the show and what the story is without, you can't see each other's faces. So just that is, is, is obstacle enough. Then you add on top of that, you know, false positives and, you know, the oh, separate yeah. transportation, all this stuff. That being said, you know, this season was written f- fairly long ago. We, you know, we came up with this idea years ago, quite honestly, and these scripts were kind of in the works for a long time pre pandemic and so it was kind of interesting when the pandemic started, we were in London, we were about to shoot and we kind of pressed pause and, you know, I flew back to America and I, we were literally scouting locations when, you know, Rudy Gobert got COVID and, and Tom Hanks wow. got COVID yeah. and, and Donald Trump went Crazy. on and said, no, no yeah. travel from here. So yeah. I was in an Airbnb and my girlfriend was like, fly home tomorrow. So I flew home the next day before, you know, travel ban and all that stuff. But, you know, as shows started coming back up, we called Netflix and Universal and said, well, look, like we happen to have this show and this season is ironically the most COVID friendly show of all time. It's mostly two people in a house talking. And yeah. so we're like, in, in a way, it wasn't big crowd scenes. It wasn't, you know, a massive 500 person crew or anything like that. It's like, not only that, but it was a, you know, a season about queer black love. And, and that yeah. also seemed more relevant than ever and, and humanizing. Hello, these, somebody. This I'm here for it. <laughs> Hello, somebody. I, you know, I'm part so, of the like, team, so I'm here for it. And you talked you about it. You said that you said that this one was actually written a long time ago and you've co-created two different series, Master of None and Forever. When you're thinking of an idea, when do you know like that it's actually ready to go? Like when when do you know it's ready to begin a new endeavor? You don't know it's ready and you don't know when you're done working on it. <laughs> like honestly, like there's that quote about like you the only project's never done is just abandoned and it's like you know, I, I think you really know when when you, again, I, I just have to go back to that thing of how excited are you and how like when you wake up in the morning, what are you thinking about in the shower? You yeah. know, it's it, it's just like it, it's really a gut instinct thing. And, and that was really the case for this 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 season with me and Aziz. You know, he called me and I was working on, on this movie that I that I made a, uh, a year ago called Tiger Tail. And so we were talking about, you know, Master every day, but he started working on the scripts while I was on set for that movie. And so um, the scripts gradually started getting written and, and obviously we brought Lena into the process early on so we could get her perspective seeing that is it is her character being centered so um yeah it really is you know at any given time I'm working on a few different things and you know one will usually take center stage and I, I try not to work on a million things at a time right I try to yeah, pick right, and choose right. and really focus so um I can I can give creative energy to it so so last year yeah it was master of none you know I, I flew over to England and we were on set and and, and that was a big part of it but um yeah it, it's really it's all just boils down to your instinct man it's just your gut it's like I think this one is is ready right now and this is the one that's interesting so yeah uh, with that kind of like variety of of work in mind, uh, you got your start. Uh, sort of got your start as a as a blogger, essentially. Like, uh, fire Joe Morgan, R.I.P. Joe Morgan. You know, in the blogosphere, was a kind of iconic blog that was about um, analytics and this new way of thinking about sports. Um, notably, run by Michael Shore. Uh, you wrote for that for for a while, uh, totally anonymously. Uh, what was that like? What were you? What kind of itch were you scratching when you were writing two, three thousand word <laughs> blog posts for no money, like on a weekly basis for Fire Joe Morgan? 
Yeah, I think it's 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 borderline troubling, like what we were doing on that show. I think especially <laughs> me and Mike, like we had full time jobs, and it was like like what like honestly, what are you doing? Like I like like I think you know I think I was mostly single at the time, and like you know you're in your twenties. It's like, but but seriously, I mean that 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 is an example of doing it for the love of whatever you're you're into yeah. at the time and it's a weird thing to love i will say this but we had read moneyball you know michael lewis's seminal book and and i think we were really passionate about the different way the way sports was changing the way sports were changing yeah. and 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 was really interesting to us and by the way if you go back and look at some of those posts it's like they're completely wrong but to me the the overall idea of <laughs> is there an analytical way of looking at this and is there a right. way to not just say this is the way things have always been done and is there a way to look at sports through a different prism look i think ultimately it's a balance and and we don't we probably aren't as dogmatic as we were back then but man it was fun and and that that blog originated because it was originally an email list and it was like hey let's go watch baseball together and ultimately you know people like me and mike and dave king were writing back to the email list complaining about commentators and pieces and stuff and finally people other people on the list were like fed up were like can you take this somewhere else because i'm trying to live my life i'm not trying to read these takedowns of sports writers in my email every day so we literally just started a blogger account and 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 i think me and mike and, and dave were, were the ones who were just like crazy enough to keep writing on it every day every day every day and i think mike was on the office at the time and i think i was working on south park uh, a little bit and um I, I and i really didn't even know mike you know i had shaken his hand maybe once or twice and then later on when uh you know he got his own show uh i was like well i'd love to submit a pilot and he's like well the good news is i not only did i like the pilot and greg daniels read the pilot and liked it i've also read roughly three million words of comedy you've written over the last like five years which is really i mean it's it's just you know i never wrote that blog to try to get a job but it was really just i was really passionate about you know juan pierre's vorp and like adam dunn's right. strikeouts not being that right. bad a thing right that, that's like such a but in, and it was it was a weird lane to be in and now it's obviously commonplace right we, we they didn't yeah. have the sloan conference or if they did it was really unpopular we didn't have daryl morey we didn't have you know theo epstein was still working on his first run you know as a gm yeah. it, it was a different era so um yeah you look back and you're like yeah we wasted a lot of time but it was also kind of fun so <laughs> well you say it's a different era but how do you feel about it now? Do you think the analytics culture won or the eye test mentality like fell off a little bit? Because I mean, I'm an athlete, so I could watch somebody play. I'm I'm one of the eye test people. I could watch somebody right. play and know everything I need to know about them in one game. I, I just know I can do the eye test, but I know that that comes from me playing sports my entire life. So do you think the analytics culture won? Because if you look at the NBA and a lot of other leagues, it's very analytic based. I would say, and this is ironic coming from a dude who wrote for Fire Joe Morgan, but I, I got to say, in some ways, I think it's gone a little far. It's gone a little far. It's like, I, I don't think, well, I, I don't think there's, a, I don't think there's a one size fits all catch all in the NBA. Right. I, I think the NBA is different right. from Major League Baseball, first of all, because baseball yeah. is like a bunch of individualized trials, right? There's a lot of right. data. The NBA, it's like, you, we haven't quantify defense accurately yet i don't think we have and i think like there's obviously things that players coaches who've been around the game their whole lives are going to know better than you know someone who hasn't done that who hasn't done the scouting and i again I, I i hate to use the cop out of it's a balance but you know look there's definitely ways that analytics has won in the sense that like yeah you look you should shoot a ton of threes steph curry should yeah. shoot 15 to 20 threes a game minimum yeah. because that is a more efficient way of playing you shouldn't play like the way they did in the 90s because, you know, if Kobe Bryant were playing now, you know, he would shoot a lot more threes and he would take a lot less mid-range. That's just numbers. But at the same time, you know, look, the joy of basketball and, and you know, I've, I've talked to your old friend Bill Simmons about this a while ago, but yeah. it's like it's the different styles are fun and, and the different yeah. characteristics and personalities of all these teams and players. And it it is I don't necessarily want to see it an all three point shooting league, but um, you can't argue with the numbers, right? So, so look, yeah. analytics is one in one sense, but we don't want to flatten the landscape and have it be boring, right? We want to have we want to have different styles, and um, there's things that obviously players recognize that that you know analytics dudes don't always see. So, you know, look, it's, there's room for both, I think. Uh, finally, with Master and with your uh, directorial debut, Tiger Tail, you've um, really been so adept at telling these. Uh, 
immigrant stories, second generation immigrant stories from an Asian American perspective in particular. Um, how did that evolve? Um, and do you, at what point did your parents, because I know you were kind of like on a med school track at one point, at what point did your parents understand what you do? Pretty recently. <laughs> I, think oh was, I think it was like, uh, I think it was honestly like, wow. uh, I think it was honestly like, dude bought a house. Like at one point I bought, right, yeah, right, yeah, I, I, right, yeah. I bought a piece of land and it was like, okay, right. we're standing inside a house he built doing this weird thing. <laughs> but, but you know, like you, to, 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 in their defense, it's like, they, why would they understand this job? Yeah, you know, right, it's like, why would they understand this? Like, you know, it, it, in the movie Tiger Tail, which is, you know, loosely based on my, my family and my dad, it's like, you see, he grew up in a hut. He worked in a factory where they made sugar, where they refined sugar. It's like he came to America and it's like that that is a he never thought like, you know, hey, my son is going to write for a blog about baseball analytics and then get a job on a sitcom <laughs> and then direct a Netflix movie. It's like that, right, that's yeah, yeah. not a path. That's not a path. That's very weird. So that Unreal. that is real. That is very strange. And, uh, but they look, I will say this. They are unbelievably supportive now. And they like. Look, uh, here's my here's my thing is like I think in the back of a lot of Asian parents minds is like, what can my kids do that I can brag about? And now yeah. they can brag a little bit. So it's like it's in the Chinese newspaper. It's like, OK, he, he got somewhere. It's <laughs> something is happening. We kind of understand this. And they honestly they watch the stuff that that I work on and and, and they're big supporters now they're, they 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 kind of they kind of get it, you know. Well, listen, let me give a let me give a message to your parents. Alan's parents, in case you didn't know, we're interviewing him because he's killing it. So you should know and feel comforted in knowing that you have a lot to be proud of. You have a lot to show off. Tell everybody about it because Master of None season three comes to Netflix Sunday, May 23rd. That's a lot to be proud of. I just thought I would say that because I think a lot of cultures need to hear it from someone else like they say. So, yeah, you got they got a lot to be proud of. You're killing it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Renee. I'll send this to them. (laughs) (laughs) Alan, don't go anywhere because Take Survivor is coming up next and you're on the island. Yeah, awesome. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Welcome to Take Survivor, the show where only the strongest take wins. Three rounds, three prompts, and our contestants are the jury. Joining us today, he is a writer, he is a director, he's also the co-creator of the Netflix original Master of None, which returns for a third season coming out May 23rd. Please welcome Alan Yang. Alan, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. She is a producer on this show. Her name is Caroline Reston. Rest in peace, Caroline. How are you? I'm great. J-Lo and Ben Affleck. Maybe are back together. So excited. Geely sequel. Hoping for it. It's uh, it's a PR scheme, but that's okay. <laughs> also joining us, a producer on this and all caps, Jason Gallagher. Jason Gallagher, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me today. And finally, she is the co-host of this podcast and a two-time WNBA champion, Renee Montgomery, Renee, hello. Hey, 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 let's get a dub. Let's get a dub. (laughs) I'm here for the win. Let's go. (laughs) Our first prompt. What is the best fast food chain? What is the best fast food chain? Let's start with you, Caroline. Caroline, what is the best fast food chain? 
Oh my God. Okay. So when I eat fast food, I like never want to remember that I ate it. So I'm going to go with Taco Bell because in my 30 years, I don't think I've ever actually been sober while eating Taco Bell or been to a Taco Bell sober. Taco Bell is 2 a.m. You're drunk. It's so much fun. You're running into people you know. I one time got someone's phone number at a Taco Bell. You're eating Crunchwrap Supremes. And honestly, at 2 a.m., the calories don't count. So fucking Taco Bell. I love it so much. Caroline Reston, a high-functioning memento person, says Taco Bell. (laughs) Jason Gallagher, what is the best fast food chain? Well, I'm not going to not pick McDonald's because I'm going for the win here because McDonald's is not only uh, has so many menu items that that are are iconic, but it's a it's a cultural icon as well uh, from from all of the amazing commercials and nothing but net Big Macs. I could just list shit. You want me to just do that? I'm going to do that. Happy meals. Happy meals. Two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese. What is it? Pickles, onions? I can't remember. Pickles, onions. McMuffins, <laughs> quarter pounder, baked apple pie. ba ba He <laughs> is loving pie. it, folks. Jason Gallagher says McDonald's. Uh, Renee, what's the best fast food chain? I can't believe you guys made this easy for me. Duh, it's the Krusty Krab. Are you kidding me? Have y'all seen SpongeBob? <laughs> Have you guys seen how people try to steal the recipe? Plankton, wow. for example, spent his whole life trying to figure out the recipe to the Krusty Krab sandwich. So why would that not be at the top of your list? I don't know. Have you guys seen SpongeBob? It's a cult classic at this point. It's past the generation of time. It's the best. I rest my case. Try to beat the Krusty Krab if you want to. I want to see you do it. Wow. It is the Krusty Krab, the finest in undersea dining. I don't want my burgers crusty. From Renee, Alan Yang. Alan, what's the best fast food chain? The best fast food chain is 7-Eleven, but in Japan. Japan is the land of the most delicious food in the world. Sushi, ramen, udon, soba. Tonkatsu, even the pizza there is the best in the world. But yet, every time I go, I have to go to 7-Eleven. It's unbelievable how different it is from American 7-Elevens. There's variety and quality. I love getting the egg salad sandwich. They have curry pastries, spicy fried chicken, bento boxes, noodles. They have Odin. It's a Japanese stew with daikon radish, boiled eggs, tons of other ingredients you can customize. 7-Eleven Japan. Wow, I'm about to Postmates 7-Eleven from Japan. And now we will go to the voting Ladies and gentlemen, the voting. Our contestants are the jury. They will send their votes to the chat. Will it be Caroline, who says Taco Bell in bla- in a blackout state is actually the best fast food chain you can have? Will <laughs> she be the first person voted off the island? Will it be Jason Gallagher with McDonald's? He is loving it. He loves uh, listing various items from McDonald's, but will he be the first listed off? Or Renee, she went animated with the Krusty Krab. Or will it be Alan Yang, who's shouting out the 7-Elevens in Japan? Read a fascinating article on 7-Eleven feuding uh, in Japan with a former owner of theirs in the New York Times. Here are our votes. One vote for Renee. One vote for Jason Gallagher. Two votes for Renee. It's two votes to one uh, for Renee. (laughs) And then one more vote for Jason Gallagher. It is tied in a final vote for our first evictee from the island, Jason Gallagher. (sighs) The jury is not loving it, Jason. Five billion served globally, but you have been served today. What do you have to say for yourself? Uh, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. I'm just going to take this time and just and, (laughs) and say how much I love McDonald's and especially a special place in my heart for the soft serve ice cream. I believe to be good. <laughs> that machine well, never works, Jason. That's why you lost. <laughs> um, Bye. Round two. Who is the best celebrity chef of all time? Fictional, real, animated, flesh and blood, whatever the case may be. Who is the best celebrity chef of all time? Let's start with you, Alan. Who's the best celebrity chef of all time? Best celebrity chef of all time. I really want to pick all of the Iron Chefs from the original Iron Chef Japan. I've gone a Japanese kick, but I only have to pick one. So Masahara Marimoto, 
I really just want to talk about Iron Chef and how crazy it is. Yeah. Chairman Kaga is the host. He takes a bite of a whole bell pepper. The premise is that he built a custom cooking arena called Kitchen Stadium in his home in a castle. And he has Iron Chefs battle other Iron Chefs. Let's talk about how crazy it is that this show became a hit at the time. Yes. All Food Network at. Okay, so, okay, I'm out of time. But Masahara Morimoto. Uh, Alan Yang says Masahara Morimoto from Iron Chef. Renee, who's the best celebrity chef of all time? Oh, come on. It has to be Snoop Dogg. He's besties with Martha Stewart. Imagine him <laughs> cooking for you, and he's like, for drizzle, my nizzle. And he's telling you how to put your spices on there, how much to do. Think about the culture that's going to be in it. Martha Stewart's been to jail, so you figure out little ways to cook. I'm sure she's taught that to Snoop. One of them is an expert. Another one has been raised with soul food and all those. So imagine combining those into Snoop Dogg's brain. I would watch that show. I know you would, too. Renee Montgomery says Snoop Dogg. Moving on. Caroline, who is the best celebrity chef? Okay, I find all cooking shows, celebrity chefry, so fucking boring. Why am I watching a show where I can't eat the food? It makes no sense. But if I had to pick, I would pick... Bethany Frankel. Okay, look, unpopular opinion. Her skinny girl products are good. They're good. The popcorn with sea salt and lime has changed my life, and popcorn. it's $4.99. Not only that, she is bringing drama. She has looks. I, that's what I want what? from my chef. Caroline Reston singing the praises of popcorn. And a question about... Chefs popcorn with and cuisine lime. and popcorn and with now lime. We, and now we go oh. to the voting. Who will it be evicted from the island in this round? Will it be Caroline Reston who says Bethany Frankel? Will it be Renee who says Snoop Dogg? I'm not sure what Snoop's signature dish is. Maybe we'll find out in his collaboration with uh, noted jailbird Martha Stewart. Or will it be Alan Yang? Shouting out the classic food show, The Iron Chef, and Masahara Morimoto. Votes are coming in now. And it is by the tally of three to one. Caroline Reston has been evicted from the island. Caroline, what do you have to say? I don't know what I would say. I thought that was a really good answer. Also, one time I had to like, (laughs) handle Snoop Dogg for this event and every time I was about to push him out to do this he kept having to pee so I can't imagine his food or anything with him is that fun sorry what he he was nervous that is very relatable Snoop Dogg was nervous Caroline Reston going out saltier than her popcorn and now we move to the finals (laughs) it is Alan Yang versus two-time WNBA champion Renee Montgomery here is our final question What is the best way to win a game? A shot at the buzzer in basketball, a walk-off home run, penalty kicks in soccer, or a Hail Mary touchdown? What is the best way to win a sports game? Alan, let's start with you. What's the best way to win a game? Best way to win a game is a buzzer beater because you're out of time. There's a clock. There's a clock ticking down. What happens in a movie? There's a red digital timer clicking down the seconds. That's how you build suspense. That's how you build suspense in a movie. That's how you build suspense in real life. Let's talk about 2002 Western Conference Finals. Woo! Hits the big shot. Big shot, Rob Ori. Big shot, Rob. It makes a man's reputation. It gave him a nickname. Who made the shot? Not Kobe, not Shaq, Robert Ori. He won seven titles, and that was his contribution buzzer beater. That sound you just heard was our entire Sacramento fan base unsubscribing from this podcast. <laughs> Renee Montgomery, what is the best way to win a game? Oh, I you know you know you guys didn't put my option up there, but I'm going to say no, Joe it. Biden's walk off to win, yeah, to win the election. I think Joe Biden had an unbelievable comeback. <laughs> no one saw it coming. Georgia was on my mind, Ooh. and we were here standing firm. Everyone thought it was going to go one type of way, right? But what happened though? We won, and it was a buzzer beater. If you guys remember, it almost came down to a count. It doesn't get any crazier than that. Name a crazier win than the 2020 election. Renee, with Joe Biden 
winning Georgia as time ran out before the insurrection. And now we go to our finals now. Let me remind the jury, you are voting for the winner. You are voting for the winner in this round. Who will the winner be? Will it be Alan Yang, who says, hitting that shot at the buzzer like big shot Bob Ori? That's the way to do it. That's the best way to win a game. Or will it be Renee Montgomery who says, we did it, Joe. We won Georgia. We did it, Joe. <laughs> Votes are coming in now. Oh, I love it like here. score <laughs> of three to one. Your champion is Alan Yang. Alan! <laughs> What do you have to say? I just want to say a vote for me, by the way, is not a vote for Trump. A vote for me is not a vote for Trump. (laughs) I I wanted to vote for I wanted to vote for Renee just to be clear that that was a more important victory. I love beating the buzzer of the insurrection. That is incredible. That is thinking outside the box. That is creativity. So thank you, Renee, for that. What I do. Yes, shout out, shout out to all my uh, Japanese picks earlier, and then shout out to Rob Ori. So yeah. Alan Yang, thank you for joining us on Take Survivor. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you. So now is time for buzzer beaters where Jason and I throw up some last second stories we didn't get to get in the show. And Jason, I'll go first because I already started talking about it. But WNBA season opener. It's the 25th anniversary this year. So the WNBA is doing it big. Yes, sir. Let's get it. I feel like all the teams are taking it up a notch. I've seen their media days. That's why I felt like we had to come correct with the Atlanta Dream Media Day. But I just love the vibes. I see so many tweets. I saw the fans. They were mad that the preseason games weren't shown on the league pass. I love that energy. I Look, I wanted you guys to see it, but I love that people are mad that they're not getting more content. I love that there's just so many different things going on where fans are having an input. Like, hey, what's going on with this? What's going on with that? So let's keep the energy going. Let's keep that momentum going all the way into the season opener, May 14th. Let's count it. I love it. What For you my got? What beater, you got? I, well, I think people would expect me to talk about the Knicks and their big win over the Clippers, but I'm not going to do that because there's still unfinished business left to do. The Lakers looming on the schedule. LeBron is going to come back for that game. AD just went off the other night against the Suns. Facts. I don't want to jinx it. What I will say and what I will talk about is an ongoing injustice in this country that is disgusting and it is despicable. Medina Spirit, the winner of the Kentucky <laughs> Derby, is being framed. Oh, Bob my Baffert, God. Bob Baffert, owner of Medina Spirit, you may know him as a villain from Eastbound and Down. He recently went on uh, Fox News, which is an absolutely reputable news organization that is completely <laughs> on the up and up. And he said that his not only was was Medina is Medina Spirit innocent of this. Medina Spirit never ingested any drugs. No one has any idea how the drugs got into this horse's system. Not only that. But Medina Spirit is the victim of cancel culture. This horse is being canceled for speaking the truth and just doing what it loves. And I think it's disgusting that in today's day and age, in 2021 in America, we can just slander and ruin (laughs) and defile a horse's legacy and reputation willy-nilly without any kind of respect or regard for this horse's feelings. I think it's terrible. I think it's awful. And I think it's a reflection of where we are as a society. Medina Spirit is innocent. What? (laughs) And that's on Mary Had a Little Lamb. You know, I didn't think about that, Jason, but now I'm going to think about that. Uh, That's it for us today. Follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to The Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode and more, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out. See you next week. Let's go!
Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Wayfair's biggest sale of the year is back. Get ready for Wayday. For three days only, May 4th through May 6th, you can get up to 80% off at Wayfair. Save on sofas and cookware, dining sets and rugs and beds, wall art, bar cards, floor lamps, sailing fans, home decor, all things outdoor, and way more. Plus, everything ships free. Don't miss the sale to get up to 80% off everything home, even a garden gnome. Wayday starts May 4th. Head to Wayfair.com now to start filling your car. Wayfair, every style, every home.